0: Hi everyone, welcome back to a new video. Before we get into the stories, I need to let you all know that this is such a dark video. There's going to be stories about sexual assault, there's going to be stories about murder, the whole nine yards, so you might want to skip this one. Also, the first story in this video is one I did previously, but I also attached an update story to it, so I decided to include both parts since they're connected to each other. Also, this is a collab with my good friend and fellow narrator Goodnight Goosebumps. If you like his narrating, check out his channel. It'll be linked down in the description. I'll also have all the timestamps in a pinned comment if you want to skip any stories. And without further ado, let's get into the stories. And remember to always
1: stay hungry.
0: major trigger warning for sexual assault. I would like to remain anonymous and I'm going to be changing his name to avoid him finding out that I shared this story. I will also send screenshots and photos to verify the story, but I don't want them shared publicly. The story is very long. I'll refer to him as John. I met this man when I was around 16 and I became friends with him. That is, until he became obsessed with me and I stopped talking to him because he was scaring me. I've recently found out that he's been lying to me about how old he was back then and that he at the time was 26 years old and he had also lied about his name to avoid me being able to identify him to law enforcement or so I'm assuming. So now I'm almost 30 and I hadn't heard from John in years. I went out for one of my friend's birthdays about a year ago and she wanted to go to a club. I don't dance, so I was kind of just hanging out awkwardly on the balcony of the club and having a drink, and all of a sudden, I started feeling really out of it. I also want to mention that I'd only had one drink, and I fell down. I don't really remember very much after that, but I woke up in a random motel with blood all over my legs, and no one else was there. For a few days, I didn't know what happened until john started sending text messages saying that he had a really good night with me and he started saying that we were in a relationship now and that he couldn't wait for the baby to get here i then realized that my blood had come from my iud being pulled out of me that night i can only assume that he somehow got into my phone and got my phone number the night he assaulted me because we hadn't spoken in years and i had a new number john proceeded to message me every day on different phone numbers and he would call me 50 plus times a day for months trying to figure out if I was pregnant. But because he never admitted to assaulting me, the police told me they couldn't arrest him without proof, and I still didn't know his real name at this time. One night though, my best friend came over to my house to spend the night, and then right after she left, a woman was kidnapped right in front of my house. Later that day, John had messaged my best friend on a Facebook account with a fake name, and then said, So, what were you two doing last night? I went to the police and I showed them a photo, as well as the messages he sent to her, and they again said that wasn't proof, and that he didn't do anything wrong. The harassment continued to the point that I actually had to change jobs, because I was so scared that he was going to show up in my work and try to kidnap me. Well, about a month after the kidnapping... John had started calling me around midnight, over and over. I then heard something at one of my windows, and I realized that he was trying to break into my house. I called my best friend and the police, and he left when he heard me on the phone with the police. And he called the police as well, saying that I was his ex-girlfriend, and that he had left a gun in my house that he wanted back. He started sending messages, saying things like, Can I please have my stuff back? And... I don't know why you're acting like you're scared of me because we had a really good relationship." The police showed up to my house and I showed them the messages. The police officer texted him from my phone to not contact my number anymore and they found a loaded gun right outside of my house. He had already left and he gave the police the same fake name. The messages and calls stopped for about a month after this incident. That is until I started receiving gifts on my porch. They came with notes attached telling me how sorry he was that he caused us to break up and how all he wanted to be was my child's dad and husband one day. He then messaged my best friend again, asking her if she would help us get back together and that if he keeps messaging me, if I'll keep getting mad at him. I ended up finding out his real name and I found multiple charges for assaulting women and kidnapping, amongst other things. The police have told me my only option at this point is to get a restraining order, but no one knows where this man lives, and he doesn't have a job, so it's going to be almost impossible to find him, and that it's not illegal for him to be in my neighborhood or to send messages because he hasn't been served a no-contact order. I'll be sure to provide an update if anything else happens in the future. Here's an update. I hope this all makes sense because I was half asleep trying to type it all. I want to start out by saying that I waited over two weeks before I went to the police after the rape because I had no idea what happened or who did it, as I was in a club, and that I never would have suspected that he was stalking me still because I hadn't heard from him in so long. Part of me felt too embarrassed as well. Also, the police officer that I was dealing with who refused to help was the chief of police who was arrested and fired a few weeks ago for misconduct, as well as covering up other cases. I'm going to send screenshots for proof for Southern Cannibal, but I don't want them shared in the actual video, because he's still out there, and it has my hometown in them. Since I sent the story in, John has called me off using no-caller ID multiple times, and I wasn't answering the calls and he also sent me a few text messages the head officer told me not to block the number to show that he's not going to stop he then offered to pay people in my friend group slash friend list on social media to help him talk to me or get to me because he's trying his best to leave me alone but he just can't stop thinking about me every second of every day his words this forced me to delete all of my social media because I don't trust anyone that I'm not close with anymore to not let him see my profiles and to get to me for money. While on Valentine's Day, I got a message from John super early, telling me Happy Valentine's Day, and also how much he loves me and wishes he could be with me. Well, that night around midnight, I started getting phone calls over and over, and my dogs were going crazy as if someone was outside. I called the police, and no one was there when they arrived. The new officer was super helpful and assured me that things are going to be different going forward now that we don't have a corrupt cop running things. That night, I cried uncontrollably, and I got physically sick because I just felt so hopeless. It got to the point where I was having panic attacks, and I could barely function enough to go to work and go about my day-to-day life. As a single mother, I've really tried to push through and pretend like nothing was wrong. But we definitely don't go out on weekends like we used to, because I don't want to be in public and have him show up. There's truly nothing that could be done if he were in a public place with us. Later in the week, I got another no-caller ID call, and I decided to answer it and then muted on my end, just so he didn't get the satisfaction of talking to me. I only answered it because I felt like I was going crazy, and maybe it wasn't him. When I answered it, however, it was silent of about 10 seconds, and then John started to frantically say, Can you hear me? Please talk to me. I love you so much. You have to understand that. I don't know why you're acting like you're so scared of me. While he was talking, I could actually hear him right outside of my house. I called the police, but again, he left before they got to my house again. He then sent me pictures of his child who he had abused, covered in bruises, and then said, when you talk about being scared, this is what scared looks like. His mom did this to him, as if that would make me think he was a good person. There's also actually proof that he was involved in the abuse of his child, and I believe that that child is out of that situation from what I could find. I found an address associated with him and the police seem confident they'll be able to serve him now. I don't know if I'm being paranoid, or if he's actually watching me, but I feel like every second of every day, I feel as if I'm being watched now, and every night my dogs go crazy, and I've been hearing noises outside for the past two weeks. I filed for a restraining order, but I'm absolutely terrified that it's going to just make him angry. I also think that he still thinks in his delusional mind that he actually got me pregnant, and that's a big reason that he hasn't hurt me yet. I just really hope soon I can get away from all this and move on with my life. Something that I've always feared finally came true. I don't know why I do this, but I only do it at night, even if everyone's home. I unconsciously check the peephole on the front door and look outside. The streetlight illuminates the yard and street, but not very well. I would check the peephole so often that I started to get paranoid, fearing that one night I'd look through the peephole and that someone would be there. And one day, it finally happened. Now, I always have this routine to make sure that every door is locked, the basement door doorknob and deadbolt lock, then walked back to the end of the house, and same thing, bag doorknob and deadbolt lock. I then walked to the front door and peeped the people just to make sure the outside lights were off. This time, however, when I peeped, I froze. The porch light was on. The yellow bulb lighting up a figure's face hunched over with widened eyes, staring straight back into my own. My fear calmed only slightly, with the relief of knowing he can't look back in through the peephole. With that adrenaline, I then reached slowly for the knob, slowly turning it to see if it was locked, without making a sound to alert him. Fuck, it was unlocked. I was staring down at my hand, gripping the knob, and then slowly let go, and when I looked back into the peephole, he was staring at the knob on the outside. He slowly turned the knob, then swung the door open. The chain at the top of the door stopped him from opening the door fully, but it was still cracked open a little. The sound woke up my mother, and she came running out of her bedroom. The man on the other side of the door then reached inside through the crack of the door and grabbed my arm. I screamed so loud that it could have shattered the glass on our windows. My mom then went and grabbed my brother's baseball bat and then swung it down into the man's arm. There was a heavy thunk of the bat hitting both the door and the man's arm. His screams of pain were loud enough to wake up my neighbors. He then pulled his arm back through the gap in the door, then ran off. Both my mom and I then slammed the door shut and then locked it. My brother had woken up shortly after all of this, and he was just as panicked as we were. I didn't sleep well after that, but lucky for us, The man was caught. He was actually arrested and taken to the hospital due to my mother breaking his arm when she hit it with the baseball bat. He was apparently a fugitive running from the police for possession of controlled substances as well as breaking and entering and also assault and attempted murder as well. To this day, I'm so glad that our door had that chain lock for the extra security and for my mother's quick reactions. Thank God for
1: that. I live in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I was 16 years old at the time. I was looking to get my first job and was excited when I got hired at this fast food joint. However, I dreaded my job after some time working there, but some close coworkers kept me longer than I intended to stay. I had already been working there for around six months when my manager had rehired an old employee from long before I worked there. I remember being excited that there was going to be a new employee around my age working there, as only one other employee was my age, and we didn't have very many shifts together. This new employee's name was Chris. At first sight, he looked harmless, but Chris was far from harmless. I've had my run ins with employees that were troubled. Like, one guy on his first day asked if I knew anyone who sold black. I didn't know what he meant at first, but I figured out later, he meant black tar heroin. So yeah, I've had some run-ins with troubled employees, but Chris was much, much worse. Chris would come to work and offer me various drugs. I would decline, and we would both go about our shift. One day, Chris had come to work with his handgun in his waistband, Chris was older than me, but not old enough to carry a handgun legally. I didn't like the thought that he had brought it to work and was showing it off, but what was I going to do? Tell him not to bring the firearm to work? I wasn't spooked by the firearm, but it did make me feel uneasy. The next day at work, Chris again brought the firearm, and he brought it again and again until it became a casual thing. I still felt uneasy, but again, what was I supposed to do? At least, that's what I thought at the time. I now know that I could have reported it to my manager or another authority, but I was gullible and not in the best state at the time. As Chris bringing his handgun to work became a casual thing, he would show it off, like he was better than us because he brought his gun to work. He treated it like a toy, like a nerf gun or something. I was never spooked, until Chris had pointed the freaking thing at me. He thought it was funny and was laughing, but I was terrified. I've grown up around firearms, and knew how much damage one could make. And That shift goes on, and the next one comes, and I didn't experience anything else like that with Chris. A month goes by, and I'm on my shift as usual and I noticed that Chris was supposed to come in today, but he wasn't here. I asked around, but no dice. No one knew where Chris was. I remember being angry, as we were already short-staffed, and it was rush hour. I finished my shift, and come in the next day. That's when my other coworkers told me something that shook me. My coworker, Chris had shot and killed another guy. I was baffled, a loss for words. I didn't understand why. I got off my shift and checked the news that night, and sure enough, Chris's mugshot was on the screen. Chris is going to be put on trial for the murder of Ryan Costello. Chris's girlfriend also claimed that he had killed another guy about a year prior, but, I'm unsure if this is true. It terrifies me to think that he killed another person over the guy just asking to see the handgun. Chris knew Ryan, and they had their disputes, but to think he killed Ryan after asking, that is terrifying. I wonder to this day, what if I was on his bad side? Would I have met the same fate as Ryan? I feel guilty because... If I had reported Chris, Ryan may still be alive today. There are a few trigger warnings for this story. They are attempted murder and great bodily harm. I don't remember the exact day this happened because my mind blocked it out, but I can tell you it was April of 2006. I was a single mom of two, expecting my third child a daughter. I was roughly seven months pregnant. It was like another day. I brought my boys to the sitter and went to work. I worked at a fast-paced family sit-down restaurant, all ninety four. I got out of work early that day and was going to have dinner with the father of my expected daughter. I drove to my cousin's, where I rented a room, and they watched my son's sometimes Nothing was really wrong, but something felt off. My cousin felt it too, and said, Becca, keep the boys here, and if you go out, stick this knife in your boot. A Little would I know, that dang butterfly knife my cousin gave me would save my life in a way. We'll call my daughter's father Banda for short. He was a 5'7 Mexican immigrant, he picked me up from my cousin's house later than expected. It was weird, but I got in the car. My senses were overwhelmed by alcohol and another smell, and honestly to this day, I'm not even sure what it was. I shut the door, and Bandit just looked at me with this dead look, and locked the door. We began speeding down the road. We clipped a few cars, And he was, unfortunately, going so fast that I couldn't jump out. We ended up at his house, and I figured I'd get him inside and just walk the 30 or so blocks back. Once Banda realized I was going to leave, it was like the man snapped. Suddenly, I was pulled backwards down the stairs. He flew into a rage. I don't remember much from being beaten, but my big ass got up at least 12 times and tried to make it up the basement stairs. At some point, it started to get hard to breathe and my vision was blurry. The last time he attempted to drag me back downstairs to continue beating me, I remembered my cousin gave me that knife and I knew if I did not fight, I would not get out of that basement alive. I was dazed and bleeding from many places, including between my legs it was a large amount and I knew I was going to pass out soon I made a run for it wildly slashing and hoping to God that I was going to get out I managed to slice him across the cheek and chest which gave me the several moments I needed to run full force up the steps and outside a little side note the morning cook from work Roberto lived with him And witnessed it, and chose to do nothing. Once I made it to the driveway, I heard yelling and the door flew open. To my absolute horror, Bandit's crazy ass stood there, wide-eyed, and bleeding from his face. I didn't give him time to say shit. I booked it and left out of the driveway, screaming for help. I'd made it about two blocks when I was hit from the side. Stunned, I got up and saw people across the road to the left at a bar called Big Shots. Not one single person helped my yelling, obviously pregnant and bloody self. I made it an additional three blocks running for my life before he ran me over while I was running across 60th Street. This time... The pain I felt inside my abdomen was searing. I crawled to an alley and gave myself a few minutes. I knew he was in the area, and I also knew if he ran me down again, I'd probably die. I finally made it the last 20-ish blocks to the Kenosha County Police Station. Detective D. took my statements, and I was transported to the hospital up the road. I had a broken left ankle, torn meniscus and ACL, four broken left ribs, and eight of my fingers were broken severely. I'd lost four teeth, and the ultrasound detected no heartbeat on my daughter. And There was a lot of damage to my middle, and they determined she had a broken spine from being run down, which ultimately killed her. Banda was arrested later that night, After crashing, he was charged with attempted murder and something with a fetus. He was deported, and thankfully, I've never seen him again. Roberto had his ass handed to him by my boss, and I had the joy of firing him. I got letters and threats for years until I moved. Most notable was, You let Banda's baby die. Let your family know if you end up missing and they find your body floating in Lake Michigan. It's because of that. Joke's on you, Banda. You may have broken me, but you didn't kill me. I've been able to do work with a few organizations, such as the Domestic Violence Project and CASA. It taught me a lot of signs to look for, amongst other things. Working with other women like me also helped to heal me. I got my concealed carry, and my pops gifted me a few weapons before passing. So, Banda and Roberto, I hope we never meet again, because if we do, I promise there's not a chance in hell that you can hurt me.
0: I've not shared this story before, but it's been a while, and I guess it's time. About 12 years ago, I was dating a man who won't we'll call Simon. Simon was trouble, not in a bad boy way, more like a dirty old man sort of way. He had a bit of a reputation and he was older than me, but he was also charismatic and kind of slimy. Listen, I was 21, okay? We all do dumb shit when we're young and it wasn't just me who liked him. The story starts with my sister taking a shine to him as well. She was a minor, and I mean he was slimy, but he wasn't stupid. She tried to sit in his lap and kiss him right in front of me, and he politely but firmly rejected her. She left angry at the rejection, and she had then told our mother that he had assaulted her. Now, I'm using assault as something of a euthanism, but suffice to say, she accused him of a bunch of things that an adult man shouldn't be doing with an underage girl. My mom believed her without hesitation, and came over the next day to tell me I had a choice. Dump him because family comes first even if she's lying, or when they call the police, they're going to tell them that I helped with the assault. I told my mom the truth, and she just said again, it doesn't matter if your sister's lying, family comes first. Now, that was news to me. I'd not come first for them even once in my life. She was an absentee mother who could barely stand to look at me, and my sister's actions speak for themselves. So yeah, slimy trouble or not, I chose to stay with Simon, and later that day, we were both arrested. That's just where it starts. Let's call my mom, Marge, and my sister, Lisa. There was another younger sister as well who was a couple of years younger than Lisa. Let's call her Maggie, and to round it out, we have Homer. My stepdad. And they all play a part in the story to come. So Simon and I are arrested and questioned. But Lisa's story changes constantly. And obviously there's no evidence of any crime taking place. Since, you know, no actual crime took place. So nothing ever came of it. The few weeks while the case was being investigated was really stressful. But pretty peaceful. Honestly, we just kind of sailed through it laughing at them being as dumb as they were. And when the police decided that no further action would be taken against us, I mean, that's nice to hear, but we'd never been worried because we knew that we hadn't done anything wrong. That's when things went from dumb bullshit to crazy. The first that I knew it wasn't done was when I was arrested again, this time for child abuse. I had a then two-year-old son, let's call him James. And when I was arrested, I was accused of everything from drugging him with heroin to orchestrating orgies for a pedophile ring with him as the centerpiece. The next few weeks were difficult. All of our phones and computers were taken to be checked for inappropriate materials for messages. My son's breakfast and sippy cup were taken to be tested, and in addition to the arrests, we then had to deal with children's services, which is a whole story in itself. And we also had a hospital visit so that they could check my son for signs of abuse. I don't know if you all know how they check kids to see if they've been molested, but I don't want to detail it. But suffice to say, it's really uncomfortable, and James was having none of it. In addition to all of the accusations against us, the family started making similar claims about literally any local friends and neighbors who didn't side with them against us. My immediate neighbor was arrested the day after I was on similar allegations. My best friend was questioned under caution after being accused of being a part of the child abuse ring that Simon and I were apparently running. And even the local police officers and those involved investigating into missing Lisa's assault claims were also accused of being in collusion with me. It was fucking ridiculous. Lisa wasn't lying. Obviously not. The police were just all child abusers protecting their own, me and Simon. When nothing ever came of the second arrest either, it got even worse. The ensuing siege lasted for a year, and honestly, I've really blacked out a lot of it. I remember Marsh throwing a Molotov cocktail in my two-year-old son's bedroom window one night. And I remember finding out that the family had been contacting the other families in my housing unit to try and get them to all to leave on the same day so that they could all burn down the unit with only myself, Simon, and my son James inside of it. I remember finding missing child posters for my son with a picture of Lisa holding him, with the claim being that James was her son and I kidnapped him. There were Facebook groups doxing us and making all sorts of calls to violence against us as well as the local police, including calls to the general public to take my son from me if they had the chance, and to also return him to his real mother. That actually happened either once or twice. It sounds daft that I don't remember, but dissociation is a wonderful thing. I remember I had to have a member of staff or police officer walk us to the nursery anytime James was to attend, because we couldn't leave the house alone. I remember once when a postman tried to deliver a package, but we didn't hear the door, so he came around back, and I thought someone was trying to break in, and I had an anxiety attack that lasted so long I was hospitalized. I remember police officers doing our grocery shopping with us for the same reason. It sounds really extra, but it really was that severe. We were also attacked in the streets several times. Marge and Homer always seemed to know when we were away from the house. It turned out that they had actually networked with a lot of our neighbors and a lot of Lisa and Maggie's friends to do exactly that. We were watched constantly by kids playing outside in the street, as well as the neighbors in the same unit or across the way, and anytime we left the house, Marsh would be contacted. They were stay-at-home parents, and it was a small town, so no matter what we were doing, they could track us down fairly easily, especially since we didn't know who was following us. I also remember being arrested again, but I don't remember much about it. Something to do with an acquaintance blaming us for a suicide attempt. I remember medication that messed with my head and made me sleepwalk. I remember trying to kill myself once, though I know I actually tried twice. Eventually, though, we were actually able to move away. We didn't have any family we could go and stay with, and we didn't have any means to move. We were just sort of at the mercy of a home swamp system, since that was the quickest way to get gone. We finally found a place in town we'd never even visited before, and we agreed to move in without even seeing the place. It could have literally been a meth den, but we wouldn't have even cared at that point. We were just so desperate to leave. Come to find out, the place was actually an upgrade, and we've really been happy here ever since. Well, I have been. Simon got the boot a year after the move because I did mention he was a slimy piece of shit, and my son ended up having to go live with his dad for a while. Simply put, I couldn't look after him for a while after everything that happened. He's now 14, and we get along great, but there were a few years when I'm ashamed to say it, but I couldn't even think about him without getting anxiety attacks and floods of tears. Maggie's tried to contact me a few times since then, and I know that Mars left Homer, claiming he was abusive. I know that Lisa's had a couple of meth babies since as well, and apparently to this day, she blames all of her issues on what we supposedly did to her. Thankfully, though, they've left us alone, at least for now. As for children's services, they stuck around for a couple of years mostly out of concern about Marge and her brood and the danger they posed. But they couldn't really do much more than stand there and watch and tell me. There's no smoke without fire. You must have done something to cause this. And honestly, I really don't remember much beyond that. I know that one of them once raised a concern because I own a spinning wheel, and she assumed it was dangerous because the spinning wheel in Sleeping Beauty had a sharp spindle. I thought that was funny, so that really stuck in my mind. Aside from that, the only thing I really remember is that we never even got back half of the tech the police took from us, and some of what was returned was broken. The fact that we were innocent and cleared of the accusations didn't even matter. We weren't entitled to any kind of compensation for the losses or damages, just in case you were wondering. I'm rambling now, and I don't really have any way to end this story. I guess because it's not really over for me, even though I know it should be. It's been about 12 years since all this happened, as I said before, and nothing's happened for more than 10 of those years. It should all be over and done with now. We're safe and doing well, but I don't know. It just doesn't feel over. Just like my retelling of it. It feels like I'm just awkwardly sticking a full stop down and saying that it's done, I don't think it ever will be for me that is